0: Welcome to C3 Hobart Online. We hope that you enjoy this message today. If you'd like to get in touch with us, make sure that you listen till the end to find out how. So good. I'll let you guys go for just a little bit, but don't go too far, right? Because I reckon we might have some more worship at the end of it. Hey, why don't you take a seat? I must say, uh, the other thing that uh, was great is is that uh, my wife's down in front here, and its I always feel a calm when my wife is here when I preach. I do. And uh, in the nine o'clock, she was out uh, terrorizing, I mean, looking after our kids in uh, in C3 Kids. And uh, so, um, yeah, good luck, parents. Good luck, parents. Did an amazing, we have an amazing kids' ministry. We have over 100 kids who are in our kids' ministry every single week. And so, you know, it's, it, is, it is an amazing ministry that we do. And I've shared before and I'll continue to share with this. Get involved with something like this because it's not just babysitting children. We're actually speaking Jesus to these kids. You know, we had 19 kids gave their lives on, C3, uh, on Easter Sunday. And every one of the parents has been followed up appropriately as to what's happening with this. That's the start of their faith journey. And, and, and I, I dream and pray that every church has got a kids ministry where they're speaking Jesus into the life of their kids. Because I don't want the kids to get to 16, 17 and start going, what is this? Because you know what will happen? They'll go somewhere else and look for the answers. They will go somewhere else and they'll look for something or other. So I want it ingrained in them like an osmosis where they're there coming in here and maybe at this point they don't have a choice to be in church, right? Because my dad bring them, get in the car, let's go kids. They don't have a choice to be here. So while they're here, we're going to speak Jesus into their life. And so I I thank you so much for our kids' ministry and what they're doing. Last week, we started a series. Kira and Kyle shared some messages across all of our different locations. A series that we called Beyond the Boat. And uh, the title is a bit of a play on words from a passage in the Bible where, where the disciples have encountered a storm in their ministry. Let me get this clear. The disciples have already said yes to Jesus. The disciples have already put down their fishing nets and whatever they did. They've already said yes to Jesus and they're encountering a storm. Let me tell you straight up that whenever you walk on this spiritual journey, there will be some storms that will come. But here we are, we find that they're on a boat, they're heading over to one side of the the sea and, and there's a storm that comes to them and they're doing what, to be honest, I would probably do. Actually, no, they're not doing what I would do because if I was on a boat and there was a storm, I would be vomiting over the side, but that's just me. They, the Most of the disciples are down below the deck or wherever it might've been, whatever their boat looked like at this time. And they're, they're taking comfort. This is not about their eternity. This is not about their faith. They have already said yes to Jesus, but they are in the comforts of the boat. And then there's one guy called Peter who makes a choice to step out of the confines of the boat onto the water and to walk. It's not natural. It's actually stupid to do that. Have you anyone tried it? Actually, we used to do it as kids. You try and get one side of the pool and you try and run to the other side of the pool. It was really dangerous because if you actually did get across there, you'd knock yourself out. But you tried to get... Anyway, that's that's the silly things I did as a kid. I, I became a paramedic after that. Do you know how many jobs I went to and I'd sit there and go, you silly boy. And then I think to myself, man, I did that as well. (laughs) This is not a criticism on the disciples, okay. Okay. This is not a criticism on the disciples, but this is, I'm pointing out here that Peter chose to step out of the boat. Peter chose to step out of that faith area where the rest of his disciples were and he walked onto the water, something that was crazy, that it wasn't meant to happen. He walked towards Jesus and we can talk about the fact that he he got his feet wet and all that sort of stuff. But but the, the Scriptures record, all the way through the Scriptures, they record that only two things amaze Jesus. In all of the Gospels, there's only two things where it says that it amazes Jesus. One, it says those who had great faith and, and the other one is that those who exhibited a lack of faith. They're the only two things that amaze Jesus. And although it would, would not be wrong to say that faith moves God, I don't like to use that term because I kind of feel like it's God sitting up there with his arms crossed and then when we do something, he says, Oh, okay, you do that, now I'll move. I like to use the term more that God responds by our willingness to move in our faith. And over the next six weeks, I'm committed to preach uh, into into what I'm calling faith zones. And if you've been in in church for any length of time, you would know that a preacher's first one they're going to go to there is Hebrews 1. And Hebrews 1 will come up on the screens, will say this. Hebrews 1 will say, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Any pastor anywhere will always preach Hebrews 11 verse 1 when they're talking about faith. It's a great verse. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of not seen. This is where you're like, yes, yeah, go for it. Awesome. And it's a great verse. But to read this verse without reading the next verse is incomplete. Because verse two tells a story. Verse two says, the act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors and set them above the crowd. The act of stepping out of the boat is what distinguished our ancestors. This is not my words, guys. This is what the scripture says. It says, it's great to have the faith. It's great to do these things, but it's the act of stepping out and whatever that is for you over this next six weeks, I'm just praying that God will move in you. For some of you, it might be the simple thing of getting on the phone and telling someone about Jesus or your workmate. For if some of you, it might be, uh, uh, I don't know what it might be. Some of you, it might be stepping out in faith to pray for someone that you've never prayed for before. Ask them first. It's always good to do those sort of things. But for many of us, there will be faith moments that are going to be different for you. Today, I want to talk about one that is gonna get your eyes darting very, very quickly and you're gonna get fidgety in your seats because I'm gonna talk about money. And I'm gonna start by apologising to you. As a senior pastor of this church for the last three and a half years, I have not spoken on the subject of money because I've stayed inside the boat. I've stayed comfortable inside the boat because it's daunting. I don't care about money. But it's daunting because of all the baggage that goes with it. Because of all the things, the minute I say that, we all bring up things in the back of our mind of of when I gave when I was 18 or when I did this or what happened here or the way I saw the church do this or the way the media portrayed this or whatever it might be. Straight away, we can't help it. It all of a sudden brings up things in our mind around this. And so I have stayed in the boat. And so I apologise to you for not speaking onto what is one of our faith pillars. I want you to turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 15, verses 11, starting at verse 11. And I'm going to hopefully give life to a well-known passage of Scripture that is mainly preached on a father's forgiveness. Today, I want to use this Scripture to talk about money but not so much money. I want to talk about the fact of the value of giving. It's a currency of generosity that it, that it comes out in this passage here. I'm asking you to be bold and to receive this as I'm going to be bold in my delivery. The reality is, is that adults, we spend, according to a survey that was done in 2018, we spend about sixty-five percent of our waking time thinking about how we're gonna earn money or spending money. Sixty five percent. Done at over fifteen thousand candidates. Sixty five percent of our waking hours we think about money. How we're gonna spend it or how we're gonna earn it. And if we as a church, if we as people in the faith sit there and say, God cares about my life, don't we think he then cares about the stuff that's actually we're thinking about 65% of the time? It just makes sense, right? So if we're thinking about it 65% of the time, then God cares about us, so he's going to care about what that matters to us. The reason I felt drawn to this scripture is because if you take anything from today, anything at all, it's the understanding that this passage is the embodiment of a father who gave because he valued life. And conversely, a young man who looked for value in what he was given, not what he was giving. Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11, it says this. It says, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And I'm just gonna go down the camera for a moment because my dad watches online. Dad, it's okay. I don't need your caravan or I don't need the house right at this moment. Although the Jeep would be really good, I'm just saying. Only kidding, dad. I wanna get context for this. The money was his father's. Okay, it says it very clearly here. It says, so his father to agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. To, to, to ask or expect any form of inheritance whilst the incumbent is still living is awkward conversations for anybody who is maybe getting on and your parents are getting on an age, those conversations around wills and inheritance and those sort of things, it's just awkward conversations. In this culture, in this time, I lived in this culture for five years, in this culture and especially at this time was to say, dad, I place no value on your life. I place no value in what you've already provided for me. Put it simply, I value what you can give me over what, over what and who you are. Based on Old Testament law, the oldest son would have got two-thirds of the inheritance and the younger son would have got one-third. Again, Dad, we'll talk about that because I have an older brother. So in this context here, the father is giving away one-third of his wealth right now. The son has come to him. He is still, we know, he's on a working farm. That's what we know it is. The scriptures will say, his son is on a working farm. It says there that the the father has many hired helps. He would have had tractors. And Did they have tractors back then? No. Just run with me here, guys. Run with me. He would have had tractors. Yes. He would have had stuff. He had hired help. He had to keep the house running. He had to keep things doing. Later on, we read that the hired servants ate well. Okay, so he had to do these things. And then all of a sudden, the sons walked in and said, Dad, I'm having this conversation with you right now. I want one third of my inheritance. I want one third of your wealth. And I'm taking off with it right now. So the father still has to do exactly what he was doing, still has to keep the farm running, still has to ensure that the servants are fed, still has to make sure that all the other things are doing. But he now has one third less, left, less of his wealth. Having been raised in the church all my life, I went through a season where I felt the church owed me. I was taught how to tithe, and I thank my parents and the, the teachings I got when I when I did that. I was taught how to tithe. I was taught that this is what I earn and this is what I give. But I know there was a season in my life where where I walked into the church. And I would walk into the building, and I would think to myself, "I have tithed, I have worked on your land. I'm putting in the sun context. I have done these things. Now it's my turn to get back from you what I've given in." And that's because I was taught to give. I never caught the revelation. And it was a guest speaker many years back in a different church, and he shared a text with me based on what I recall, what I call the faith pillars. And it's drawn from what is, what, is, what is also known as sort of the blueprint of the early church, which is Acts 2, 42 to 47. And I want to read through this. It says this, Acts 2, 42 to 47. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them. And the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions, shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the people. And each day the Lord added to the fellowship those who were being saved. I remember this guy preaching very vividly. And he, and he preached that if we value reaching a community for Jesus, then our faith needs to be built around these faith pillars. Our church world, our life needs to be built around these faith pillars. And in those faith pillars is prayer, which we do. In those faith pillars is worship in what we just did. In those faith pillars is, is the Lord's Supper, which we do once a month here. In those faith pillars is, is listening to the apostles' teaching. All of these things were, were pillars that, that, that build up our life. And in one of them, it says in there, was about giving as well. Because it is a pillar of our faith that we can step out of a boat because we're solid in what we actually believe with it. So it meant for me, I went straight away from going, I walked into the church thinking, I've tithed into you for the last 10 years. I want to take out what I want to do because I want to do my own thing. To the point of saying, I've actually caught the revelation of what this is. This is a faith-filled church. This is what I'm building into. The scripture goes on and says this, verse 13. A few days later, this young man... Young son, younger son, packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. Look how quick it goes. From the father's money, it was the father's money. It said it was his money. All of a sudden now it was over to the son and wasted all of his money. How quick the transfer of money is, right? How quick it is. Today, it's just a flick of a button. The transfer of money. There you go. It's yours. What once was mine is now yours. I want to focus here for a few minutes though. Because these verses are crucial to understanding Jesus and money. And the simple point is this, is Jesus doesn't want to get your money. He just wants to make sure your money doesn't get you. He doesn't need your stuff. But he knows that when your stuff gets a hold of you, that is where your heart will go. Jesus said to those gathered on the Sermon of the Mount, he said this to me. he said, don't keep hoarding for yourself earthly treasures that can be stolen by thieves. Material wealth eventually rusts, it decays, it loses its value. Instead, stockpile heavenly treasures for yourself that cannot be stolen and will never rust, decay or lose their value. Why? He says, because for where your heart will always pursue what you esteem as your treasure. This is not about the fact that you can never go out and buy a nice car, people. Don't hear what I'm not saying. It's where are you putting your value of what you have? Verse 14 said this about, this, about the, this. about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding... The pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. I just, I read that and I'm just in in despair. We don't know how long it was. It was maybe a year, two years. I don't know. The commentaries talk about how long it could be. But here was a father against probably his best wishes. When when that son came in and said, I'm going to have that conversation with him, a son that probably annoyed the crap out of him, annoyed was really bad to him, when, 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 when that son came into him, the father was prepared to give. Why? Because he valued the son. When he was living outside of the house of the father, hear this church, when he was living outside of the house of the father, no one gave him anything. Listen to these next few verses. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, father, I have sinned against both heaven and earth. And I am no longer longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. The Passion Translation does it like this. And I love it. It says this. It says, the hired servants lacked for nothing. I want to pose this question to you for a moment. What if the famine didn't come? What if he went out there and he got a really great job? What if he didn't squander his money? What about if the investments he'd done or whatever it might have been, if he got lucky and and he didn't squander his money? The answer is still the same. Because the answer is that you can have all the materialistic things that money can buy, but when you go outside of the father's house, you will always lack something. Thanks, Andrew. I've got one last thought on this. Author John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, was often heard quoting a limerick that said, there once was a man, some called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. Verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to the son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and I've sinned against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father said this to the servants Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we've been fattening up. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. A father who had already given what he had stepped out of the boat and gave more. You could say his son didn't deserve it. But then you could say that none of us deserve what Christ did for us on the cross. I find this one of the most inspiring passages in Scripture. Not the early bits, but this bit. Because I visualize a father that went to the end of his driveway every single day looking for his son. It's not what the Scripture says, but it says that he saw him from a long way off. And it wasn't like he sent him an SMS and said, I'm coming home, Dad. He would have known there was a famine in the land. He would have maybe heard that he hasn't done so well. Every single day, hear me on this one, the father who had already given everything that he had to his son, everything that his son was entitled to, he had already given it to him, went to the end of the road. And when he came in, He gave him more. He's already running his house on less than he had before. And we know that he didn't cut costs because it says that the servants lacked nothing. Yet what he does is he gives his coat, that would have been his own coat, would have been his. He would have been giving him the shirt off his back, he would have given him the rings off his finger. Kyle talked about the rings and the importance of that last week. He said to his his servants, Go and get the fattened calf, the one that we have been waiting, the costly one. Because the son who didn't deserve it, got the reward from the Father in heaven. We can all sit here today and we can think, well, this is about money. Well, actually it's not. It's about where do we place our value? And the reality is, is tithing and giving is up to you. There'll be ways up on the screen. And I preach another message on priority, percentage and progress. But there'll be ways that will come up on the screen and the ways that you can give. But I don't want you to miss this part of the story. Is that the father who had already given so much ran to the end of the driveway in order to step out of the boat and give more? Why? Because he placed his value on his son's life, he placed his value on his friend's life, he placed his value on what the church was doing, he placed his value on what Christ did for you. Our vision is very simple here, is to reach people who are on a journey of faith and build strong followers of Christ. And it takes resources and it takes us to step out of a boat. For me today, on my tithing, I'm putting the narration BTB because I want to go beyond the boat Because I'm believing that in our community out there, there is people who are desperate to come back to the church. I believe that there is people who are desperate to be loved. But here's the thing. We're speaking from the Father. I want you to think of the Son. The Son took from the Father. When He was in those pig pens, don't you think He anguished over that decision? Don't you think he cried about the mistake he made? He cries out. He's, he's eating an unclean animal in, an unfo- in a foreign land. He cried out, even the servants at home lack nothing. I walked away from the father's house and I might have had everything, but I always lacked my father's care. You see, there's many out there, the sons and daughters, who actually, I believe, are desiring to come back home. And so as a church, we have to be ones who are being prepared and it's going to take resources and it's going to take our effort and it's going to take our time. But there is going to be those out there who are waiting for us to come to the end of the driveway and reach out for them. Because too many of them are going to be standing there looking in going i wonder if the church cares about me yeah sure i showed offence, or maybe i was like sean who who wanted to the church and wanted to take back what i'd tithed into it don't you think that they have lacked something when they've been away and they're crying out for us so let's be a church that prepares to be generous I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes. Because this talk will never just be about money. It's about the currency of generosity. And it may be that you're one of those people who have been on the outside and you're looking in for the embracing of the church family Maybe of your own father and mother. Maybe of a friend. Maybe for someone just to care enough to come to the end of the road and give you a cloak, a ring, the fattened calf. I just want to pray as all eyes are closed. If that's you, if you say, I want to be the one who wants to come back home, I understand the value of what Jesus did on the cross for me, what the Father gave for me. Just while all eyes are closed, I want you just to raise your hand because I'd love to be able to pray with you after the service. Just across this place. Thank you. I can see that hand there. I can see that hand there. Is there any more? I'm not going to delay on this. All eyes are closed. I can see those hands. I'm going to be praying for you at the end of this. Is there any more? Because this is a chance where the church is saying, you know what, we're coming to the end of the road and we're going to give the fattened calf. Thank you. You can put down those hands. I'm going to love to catch up with you later. I'm going to pray for everyone right now. Heavenly Father, I pray as we go to give right now, and we're going to head back into a little bit more worship just to finish with. Heavenly Father, I pray that whether it's generosity today or whether I preached next time on our courage to stand up to others with our faith. Lord God, whatever it might be, whatever those faith pillars are in our life, Heavenly Father, I just pray that we will be people who will by our faith, we move God. That we remember verse two where it says, the acts of faith, those are the ones that are remembered by our ancestors. So Lord God, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for this time we've had. I thank you for the vision that you've placed on us, that our vision is to to remove any hurdles in order that people might find Jesus, Lord God. I pray you bless this time. Bless our finances, Lord God, I pray. In your mighty name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today at See Through Hobart Online. If you were impacted by this message or you'd like to know a bit more about our church and what we do, you can get in touch with us via our website, c3hobart.org.au. See you next time.